You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I don't see you all running in the building in the mornings, but with such joy and enthusiasm, maybe you're running in your hearts, I hope. Romans chapter 8, I invite you to turn there uh, this morning, Romans chapter 8. This is uh, certainly, without a doubt, one of the greatest chapters uh, in all of the Bible. It's been said that if the Bible were a ring, then the book of Romans would be uh, the diamond, and chapter 8 is the sparkling apex, the point of, of, of that diamond. You could make the case that the whole of the Christian life is represented in this very chapter. Chapter 8, you have verses 1, uh, which talks about our justification, and then uh, following that, the section about our sanctification, and then down in verse 18, our glorification. And uh, so you have much that is summarized here, and, and there are so many rich doctrines that we're going to talk about uh, during our study, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, uh, regeneration, our adoption as sons, and daughters, our inheritance uh, in Christ, the intercession uh, of the Holy Spirit for us, uh, the providence of God, uh, so many wonderful doctrines and more. So it's truly a theological treasure chest for the Christian life. Uh, and, and yet the main theme of it is what I hope that you'll keep in mind. It's still there on the screen is, is assurance, assurance. That's the main theme and uh, our security in Christ and, and the salvation that we have in Christ. And so that's going to be much of our focus together uh, as we study it. And uh, it's a particularly uh, in, in the theme here this morning in Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. Here's what Paul writes to us under the inspiration of the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, as we have set before us in this passage and in this chapter to come, such a great feast of your truth, life-changing truth, we pray that you would uh, not only uh, increase our appetites and desires to learn it and to take it in, but, Lord, that you would use it to affect the transformation and change that you want us to have, our growth, our maturity in Christ. And we pray that especially this morning as well. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you would use me as your servant today. I pray that you would increase and, and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul has already made um, some amazing declarations in the book of Romans. 
Uh, but arguably, the most significant declaration that he makes is the one found in the opening verse here in chapter 8. It follows, of course, on the heels of all that we've been talking about, chapters 5, 6, and, and 7. Um, Paul has been talking specifically in chapter 7 about our ongoing struggle uh, with indwelling sin, how the thing that he uh, wants to do, he doesn't do, and likewise, the things that he should do, he does the very opposite. Though we have died to sin, sin still lives in us. Though the old man has died and the new has come, we still live in these old bodies, the flesh, and sin is still operating. And Satan uses the struggle in us, the struggle with our sin, and the struggle even with circumstances around us to, to threaten our, uh, our confidence, our faith in God, and, and makes us question, in light of the struggle that we, we fight all the time, can we be sure that God's grace really is greater than our sins? Can we really rest in the salvation, that Christ, the work of Christ for us in salvation? Are we truly safe in His grace in light of the struggles that we feel? It's in this very context that Paul makes this perhaps the greatest declaration uh, in all of the Bible. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. What an amazing statement. The declaration there, justification in the Son, this is not only the theme of this uh, chapter, but it could be argued a theme for the whole Bible because in this single verse is an explanation uh, of, of the message, the very heart of the message of the gospel. Nearly every word in it is important and significant and worth looking at, beginning with the word condemnation isn't it? We, we cannot understand the good news of this verse if we don't understand that particular word. It's a, a legal term. A person uh, has been found guilty in the court of law. It includes both the verdict and the sentence. In this case, Paul the prosecutor has been laying out this case throughout Romans, that all of humanity have been tried and found guilty before God. We have been condemned, and we face future condemnation, the wrath of God for our sins. Most of us have never been found guilty in the court of law, so we can't imagine that we would be uh, enough th uh, there, enough sin to be pronounced guilty in the court of God. We reason that we're fine, that we're generally good, but the word therefore, therefore draws our attention back to what Paul has previously said. Romans 3, none is righteous, no, not one before God. None. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even back in Romans 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. We have been condemned by God for our sin, and we are facing the condemnation of God for our sin. Even our good works are not enough to save us. 
Paul said in Romans 3.20, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's what Paul's been explaining in chapter 7, right? The law reveals sin. It doesn't save us. God requires a different kind of righteousness that would save us, a righteousness that we cannot muster up on our own. So we've looked at the word condemnation. We look at the word therefore. Notice the word now. There is therefore now no condemnation, he says. Now is a word pointing to something that has changed. What has happened? Romans 3, 21, but now, he says, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. What kind of righteousness? He tells us the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Yes, it's true. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he says, but all are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is the essence of Paul's declaration here that we have been justified. Those of us in Christ trusting Him have been justified by God because of this gift of righteousness that's been given to us. Paul said the same thing in Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be <clears throat> saved by Him from the wrath of God. We used to be under the condemnation of God, facing the just penalty for our sin. But Jesus stepped into our place, church. He died on the cross, taking both the guilt of our sin and the penalty for our sin upon Himself. And when we came to faith, we were justified, declared righteous, saved, so that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Perhaps the main word in that sentence is the word no, the other word. Two things about this word. First of all, in the Greek, there are a couple of different words for no, and the one that's used here is the strongest one. It literally means something like no, no way, not even possible. It's a strong word. And the second thing to note about this, it's hard in the English language, but Paul places this word no. It's actually the very first word of the sentence in Romans 8.1. And we would not talk that way, and so it's difficult to translate that into the English, but it might say something like this, no, there is now no condemnation, not any, no possibility of it for those in Christ Jesus. That's remarkable, isn't it, church? Have you thought about that? That once you became a Christian, that it is impossible for you to go back under the condemnation of God. I think there's a, a sense in which a lot of us, we, we, we seem to live something like this. When we confess our sins, we find that God is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. And in that moment, we feel that we are no longer under condemnation. But then... We sin again, and immediately that condemnation comes back 
on our lives. Then we repent, and then we're forgiven, and back and forth we go uh, in and out of condemnation. And, and, and when we do that, we're failing to understand what Paul is saying. We, we're, we're falling into discouragement. We're falling into depression. Satan will use these things in our thinking. Hear, hear the truth of this. That is not true. This is a complete failure to understand what he's saying. The truth about who you are in Christ. The Christian is a person who can never again come under condemnation. Paul is not talking about feelings here or experience. He's talking about our position, our status. Having been justified by Christ, we can never again come under condemnation. You should Never allow yourself to feel this way. You should battle this in your life when these feelings of condemnation come. When this happens, I I think of the great hymn that we sang last week, and it's essentially the truth of this verse, if you think about it. I'm not going to sing it. I'll spare you of that. When Satan tempts me to despair... And he tells me of my, the guilt within. What does he do? Upward, I look, and I see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's the truth of this verse. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ. And when you feel that condemnation, when it comes upon you, fight that, com- that, that condemnation with this truth. Focus your eyes on Jesus Christ. The, the second uh, thing that we note here is the evidence of this, which is what Paul describes as the liberation that comes from the Spirit. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, it's worth noting here that Paul has only mentioned the Holy Spirit a few times so far in Romans. But one of the things that you notice if you scan this chapter here in chapter 8, that the emphasis is all about the Holy Spirit. Uh, In chapter 7, the emphasis was on the law. He mentioned it 30 times. Here in chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned uh, like 19 times in the first uh, 27 verses. It's all over the chapter. Lawson summarizes it well. The Holy Spirit's described, verse 2, as the spirit of life. Uh, Verse 4, we're to walk according to the spirit. Verse 5, our mind is to be set on the things of the spirit. Verse 9, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. Both the Father and the Son have sent the Spirit. Uh, Down in verse 11, are you following? The Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. That same Spirit now dwells in us and gives us life. Verse 13, it's by the Spirit that he says we put to death the deeds of the body. Uh, Verse 14, we're led by the Spirit to pursue holiness. Verses 15 and 16, 
The Holy Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we're, we are children of God. In other words, the Spirit of God gives us assurance of salvation. Verse 23, we have the first fruits of the Spirit in us, which is our adoption into the family of God. Verses 26 and 27, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, prays for us in our weaknesses. This chapter is all about the Holy Spirit in many ways. Here in verse 2, Paul says that one of the assurances of our salvation is that we have been liberated, note, by the spirit of life, he calls him, from, liberated from the law of sin and death. I think by using the word law, Paul is reminding us of chapter 7. He's reminding us of where we came from, uh, that the law is revealing our sin, the law condemning us to death. How could we ever keep the law? And therefore, the wages of sin is death. But one of the evidences of our salvation is that the Holy Spirit has breathed life into us, life, love into us. He has, in effect, taken the, uh, one commentator put it vividly, he's taken the Ten Commandments off of the wall, and he's put them in our heart. It's what the prophet Ezekiel spoke about. In Ezekiel 36, he said, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jeremiah 31, something similar. He said, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. Paul is describing that there's such a change when we've come to Christ that the Holy Spirit moves into you. In that moment, when we come to Christ, God said there's now no condemnation. In that same very moment, He set us free from the law of sin and death. The Holy Spirit brings a new uh, power, a new influence, a new governing force into our lives, which is one of the signs that is that which you hated, the things of God, the law of God, the rules of God you rebelled against is now something that you desire. There's been such a transformation in you that you love the law, not because it saves you, but because it speaks of the righteousness, the goodness the faithfulness, the holiness of God. Your heart has been so changed that you want to obey God and His Word. The Spirit has liberated you to do this. Sure, you're still in the flesh, chapter 7, and you still struggle with sin, but you've come to hate your sin and more and more. And you've come to love God and His Word and want to follow Christ more and more. The Spirit has set you free to live a new life. This isn't, evi- this isn't the cause of your salvation, but it's evidence of your salvation, right? It's, it's the fruit of it, or we would think, and uh, Paul describes it in Galatians 5 as the fruit of the, anybody remember? The Spirit who lives in you. It's a symptom that flows out of your salvation. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says that God has put His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee as an assurance that we are His. How precious is that assurance? So we have the declaration, which is justification in the Son. We have evidence, 
which is the liberation by the Spirit. Third, Paul tells us the foundation of all of this. And the foundation is condemnation from the Father. Now, that sounds negative, but, it, but it's not. It's actually positive. Listen to how Paul explains it. Verses 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Save us, right? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. How can we be sure in our salvation? How can we be sure that this grace of God is going to to hold out in me? Uh, That it really is greater than my sin. Paul is explaining it. it. It's because our salvation is built on the solid foundation of what God has done for us. Church. We're not saved because of what we've done. We're saved because of what God has done. Here's how he explains it. Notice what God the Father did. He did what, again, the law could not do, which was save us. Paul unfolds it there in in five expressions. And and it's essentially the gospel message all over again. Paul never tires of this. (laughs) It's always central. So walk with me through verses 3 and 4. Here's what God did. First, the sending of His Son. He says, by sending His own Son to us. It reminds us, that language reminded, or it reminded me anyway, of, of for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. It, it speaks of something, of, of the, the, the Father's heart here, of the intimacy in which the Father and the Son enjoyed prior to the sending and the sacrificial love of God and sending his son Jesus to us. Paul will return to this at the end of the chapter, chapter 8, verse 32 there. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. First, God sent the son. Secondly, the divine son became incarnate. By sending his own son, that's the next phrase, in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's a wonderful phrase. And Paul is very detailed about it. This means that Jesus came as a real man. That is, He was able to feel temptation. uh, But He did not have our sinful nature. He was not in the flesh, like you and I were, right? In sin, lost. He was in the, what's the word? Likeness, you see. In the likeness of sinful flesh. He wasn't in the flesh, but he was like it. Stott writes, his humanity was both real and sinless at the same time. Jesus came not as a, uh, with a sinful nature in union with Adam. He came without sin, but he came able to experience temptation and sorrow and weakness that accompanies our flesh. Third, he was sent, notice two words, for sin, he said. That literally means as a sin offering. It's talking about the sacrificial nature of Jesus' death. He came, He was born to die for sin, to atone for sin, to pay the price 
for sin, to satisfy the wrath of God for sin. He was an offering for sin. Fourth, through the offering of Jesus, it says, through this, God condemned sin in the flesh. That's the end of verse 3. This is 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, God made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God judged our sins by placing them on the sinless Son who bore them on the cross. Here's here's why we understand the truth of verse 1. Those of us in Christ Jesus are no longer under condemnation. That's because Jesus went under condemnation for us. Once and for all on the cross, my sin was condemned, placed on Jesus, condemned by God. And because of that, it can never be condemned again in me and you. And then all of this, the purpose, verse 4, all of this was in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Just to summarize that, God condemns sin in Christ so that His holiness might appear in us. The perfect righteousness of Christ was imputed, was given, was counted to us. And in a practical sense, Paul is saying, this holiness, this righteousness would begin to come out of us. We would begin to walk in it. And live it. We would follow Christ in obedience. Not giving into the flesh, but living according to the power of the Spirit in us. Now just step back and think about this for a moment. I shouldn't step back because I can't read my notes. But you step back in your hearts and minds. And think about the picture of what is, is, is being communicated here. God did all of this for your salvation. It's amazing. And it's incredibly important to your assurance of salvation. Because I hope that you've noticed here, and I tried to frame the points this way. I know they're a bit rugged, but, but, but I hope that you notice the whole Godhead. The first point had the Son. The second point had the Spirit. The third point had, had the Father. Do you all see that? Amen? Nodding. Yes, you saw, you saw that. The whole Godhead is involved in your salvation. When Paul says, there is now no condemnation, you understand that is a declaration ultimately by the Father. It was accomplished by the work of the Son through the instrument of the Holy Spirit of God. All of them involved. You see what he's saying? He's saying to us the very reason that we can enjoy assurance in salvation is because God has staked his very being as a holy trinity in saving you. Your assurance of salvation is as big as God himself, Father, Son, and spirit. Three persons working together to bring, let's be honest, the weakest, dullest, poorest, most sinful people to his salvation. You you cannot have assurance that you're saved until ultimately you realize that salvation is altogether of God in your life. It was his work 
Now, you responded to his work with repentance and faith, and which we are commanded to do. But assurance comes in knowing that God did it all in saving you. If you think that your salvation is partly of you and partly of God, then you're never going to have assurance that Paul is speaking of here. In fact, I would say that if your salvation is dependent upon you at all, then it's doomed to fail. Brothers and sisters, we are, we are saved by God. It is His actions altogether from beginning to end. The, 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 Lloyd Jones said, the God who saves is the God who keeps, keeps us. To the end. Think of what, again, what he's laboring to convey to us with such detail, isn't it? I mean, we've, we've been in the depths of this for, for a while. Paul is laboring to convey to us an assurance of salvation. It is not a, I hope that I'm saved kind of a salvation. It, it is not, I, I wonder if I've done enough kind of salvation. I better come to church today because I might be one service short. of. It's not that at all. Paul is wanting us to have a rock-solid faith with great depth and great detail and a faith that can stand up under the uncertainties, under the suffering of this life, a faith that not even death can shake. And, and you understand why this is so important because... There's times coming, and perhaps even on us, when we are battling with this sin, the indwelling sin, and we're filled with doubts, and, and there's times coming when the world is pressing in on us. There are times coming, and even now, when it is becoming uncool to be a Christian, when you are labeled an, as an extremist by the culture around you because you believe the Bible, and you become marginalized for your beliefs, and it starts to cost you to follow Jesus Christ. Paul is endeavoring to build such a foundation of assurance that of your faith that, that not even the gates of hell can prevail against that. Do you understand why this is so important? We can't go out there and live out there and tell people about Jesus Christ with confidence if we go forth thinking, well, I hope that I've got it together. Our faith, our salvation, it's not built on some flimsy foundation because you had an emotional experience one time. It's not based on some kind of opinion or, or even your own strength because you were really strong and, and you had great faith to be saved. It's not built on any of those things. It's built on the solid foundation of a mighty God who saved. It must rest there. And this is the kind of security in Christ that Paul is trying to convey us of. And it's really the theme of the whole chapter. Again, verses 5 through 11, 
We have assurance because we've been given the Spirit. Verses 12 through 17, we have assurance in the fact that we are children of God. Verses 18 through 25, we have assurance even in suffering, knowing that God's going to use suffering even to bring us into His glory. Verses 26 and 27, we have assurance because there are times we're so weak, we don't even know what to pray, but we have a God, who Holy Spirit, who prays for us. Verses 28 through 30, we have assurance because God is much more committed to our salvation than we are, and He promises He's going to to bring it through to the end. Verses 31 through 39, we have assurance because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Do you see it? These 39 verses here in Romans 8 begin with no condemnation, and then at the very end, it ends with no separation from His love. Nothing is more precious than this. Nothing is more important than this. Nothing is more significant than this. Because we've been justified by the Son, we have eternal security in our salvation. Wow, I hope I've left enough voice to tell the second service this good news. Now, this great assurance of salvation depends on whether you truly are in Christ. Just as certain as Paul's declaration here, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ. You understand that the inverse is true. There is only condemnation for those outside of Christ. There are only two categories here. And there's clear lines, a clear line of in Christ and out of Christ. And I would ask you today, which one are you? We are saved, not because we try really hard. We are, we are not saved because we have good intentions. We are not safe because we think that we're better than our neighbor and when we get to heaven, it's going to be a grading on a curve and we're going to be led in. We're not saved for those reasons. We are saved by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That is the only sure foundation. And so perhaps the greatest application this morning is that if you are not in Christ, hear these words. Be reminded of the condemnation that you are under. It is not too late yet. It is not too late. Quit trying to forge your own path. Quit trying to be smarter than God and His Word. Quit trying to figure out how you're going to work your way in there. Quit trying to come up with your own path. There's only one path, and it's through Jesus Christ. Faith in Him. Hear the gospel. It is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. Repent and believe it today. Lord, thank you.
for your amazing word to us with such clarity and conviction, Lord. We do pray for your help now as we reflect on all that you have done for us, Lord, in saving us. How overwhelming that your whole, whole, the whole Godhead was involved in our salvation. Lord, for those of us who know you and are in Christ, may this lead to more worship, more doxology, more devotion in our lives, more mission and service. For those who don't know you, open their eyes to see what a wonderful, loving Savior that they have in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.